Sometimes we draw a conclusion from a single picture or a single scene. Now, I am not a Chicago Bears fan. I have never been a Chicago Bears fan. I never will be a Chicago Bears fan. My poor son-in-law and I just don't see eye to eye on that. But there was a player that I always admired for the Chicago Bears, and you can go ahead and put his picture up there if you haven't. Mike Singletary. I remember watching football games against the Vikings. Mike Singletary would be across the line from our center, and you'd see this picture, and they'd zoom on in on him, and it was like, how can a human being's eyes get so big? And he was just an, he was just vicious. He was just an animal on the football field. And if that's the only picture I had of Mike Singletary, I'd be very, very intimidated by Mike Singletary. But one picture never gives us the full picture. The next picture is of him and his wife as a husband. Another picture of this man. It doesn't really look anything like that violent man on the football field. So, okay, good. There is somebody who could love this animal. But that still doesn't give you a full picture of him. He's also a family man. He's got a number of children, a beautiful family, a beautiful family. He's a vicious linebacker. He's a husband, a dad. And then the last picture I have of him is some of you may remember if you went to the Promise Banquet at True Light Christian School. He's also a strong, devout Christian, a Christian motivational speaker who had the privilege of having at the True Light Promise Banquet. Now, that's only four pictures, but it gives you a little bit better picture of this man than one picture, or any of those one pictures alone could do. And I share all that because in the Scriptures, we get multiple pictures of the church, and no one picture fully describes the church. And if we focus on only one part or one picture we see from Scripture of the church, we can miss so much of what the church really is all about. You know, we get this word picture in Scripture of the church as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ being prepared for the bridegroom. Being purified for the bridegroom, his return. Great picture. But we also see another picture in Scripture very clearly that we are called the body of Christ. The body of Christ being very diverse, very different, many parts, many gifts, all functioning as one to glorify the Father, the body of Christ. Great picture of the church. We can see another picture throughout a lot of the New Testament The church is called or could be called the flock of God. With God being the shepherd of his flock. This wonderful picture of a place of protection. God has even given us under shepherds in the church. The church should be that safe place with God as our shepherd and his church, his flock. And all of those are really Sweet, and there's many others, but there's another one in there that sometimes is a little controversial even, a little weird, a little different, people can't agree on, and it's called the church as the army of God. We are called the army of God. Now, an army 
gives you totally different pictures in your mind of those other pictures we had of the church. We need to focus on all of them. And as I said, you could get more pictures from Scripture of the church. But I wanted us to focus on this one this morning, that we are the army of God, that we have been called and recruited into his army by the Holy Spirit. God has given us the grace to become soldiers in his army. And, you know, when there's an army, that the army is formed, trained for a reason. There's an objective to his army. And I believe in Paul in Colossians chapter 4, where we're going to be today as we conclude our study of the book of Colossians. I believe he is giving us some information that will help us to understand what our role should be in that army. And that's what we're going to be looking at because the army of God is formed to do something, and I would say it's to advance the kingdom of God. We are called to advance the kingdom. What does it mean to advance the kingdom? It's not like we think of an earthly army. We're going to go conquer more ground, more geography. We're not going to go conquer this or that materialistic thing. What we are doing or what we're called to do as the army of God is to advance the kingdom by doing all that we can do to advance the reign of Jesus Christ in the hearts of men and the locale where we're planted. By advancing the kingdom through sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Really what I believe Paul's trying to tell us here is there are roles that we have to play in evangelism that may be a little bit different than what we normally think of as soon as we hear that word evangelism or that word discipleship. We are called to do this. And one of the weapons, one of the most important tools that we have, even in a natural army, an unbelievably important tool is the ability to communicate with the command center. You know, they don't just say to the soldiers, okay, just go and win. Fight this battle. There's structure. There's planning. There's all of these things put together. And the command center has got to be in communication. If the communication lines are broken, things don't work so well. And one of the most important tools we have as the church is something that gets so ignored in the church. And it's called prayer. Prayer. Um, John Piper preached a sermon a number of years ago, and he used this military picture throughout his whole sermon. But one of the lines I liked is he says, we have kind of made prayer children's walkie-talkies. That we're just going to talk to him every now and then, hoping that somehow it's fun and it makes us feel good. Instead of this important line of communication between his army, us, and the commander-in-chief in the command center of heaven. When we think of prayer that way, it should change the way that we think about prayer. It is the link, a link between us and God. Just think about that. As Christians, we just kind of take this all for granted so often. When you stop, focus, and pray, what do you do when you're talking to the king of the universe, the creator of the universe? And he wants to speak back to us. The communication is a two-way thing. 
But sometimes there is so much static out there that we can't just tune in to the Lord and hear His voice. We need to sometimes separate ourselves from all this static, all this chaos, all the things that are going on in our lives and quiet ourselves so we can hear clearly from the Lord what we're supposed to be doing. Before we go into today's text in Colossians, I'm going to look kind of briefly at three different texts that I encourage you to at least jot down the text and and read them, study them. But I'm going to these three texts to give us a picture, I believe, where it talks about us as an army. It may not explicitly say you are the army of God, but I think you can easily see in it there is battle and warfare going on. The first one is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Scriptures I think we're really, most of us, quite familiar with. It simply says, and I tell you that you are Peter. Now what's happened here? Peter's talking to his disciples and, and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter just has said, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You're the Son of God. Now some people confuse it when Jesus says, upon this rock I'm going to build my church. They think it's Peter. I would say it's not Peter. It's the revelation that Peter had that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he goes on and he says in Matthew 16, verse 18, and I tell you, tell you that you are Peter and on this rock of a building church and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now it might sound to you a little bit more like a building program than an army going to war. And I would say often, more often than not, I'm going to offer up what I think is a, maybe a picture that's a little different than you might have heard before. Or maybe it's not even what you'll read in a lot of the commentaries. But I think it makes more sense to me. The gates of hell will not prevail. How many of you know gates are not an offensive weapon? I do not believe this is a picture of the church to being cowering behind gates, afraid that the gates of hell are going to come and destroy us. What in the world? We know in those times there were city walls and there were gates. And the gates and the walls were there to do what? They were there to protect. And a lot of cities, and we'll mention this maybe a little later, in a lot of cities, if the enemy penetrated the gate, there was a place they could go back to a stronghold, a fortress, a defense within the city walls for that ultimate defense. I believe when we look at this picture here, we're seeing the church is not cowering behind the gates of hell. Satan and his minions are cowering behind the gates of hell. And the church is to be advancing as an army, advancing the kingdom of God. And the gates will not prevail. They will not hold his church back when we are going and doing what God has called us to do. They won't do it. They can't do it. Now, I realize a lot of times you've heard this, maybe just the exact opposite of that. But I consider it, <coughs> encourage you to pray about it. The church, I believe, is to be on the offensive. We are to be the aggressors. That the gates of hell cannot stop us from destroying the works of the enemy. And advancing the kingdom. Advancing the reign of Christ in the hearts of people. And in communities and territories. Not cowering back. Hoping. Somehow or other that Satan doesn't win. 
He's defeated. He's defeated, and he's putting up all of these walls of lies and deceptions, trying to prevent us from doing the work that he's called us to do. The church is to be the aggressor with what? With prayer and the gospel, the word of God. Those are our weapons. There are weapons of warfare. Second scripture I want to mention is in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. Again, familiar for many of us. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. This is not a military battle like we would see on the evening news. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I would say that's telling me our weapons are more powerful than the world's weapons. Our powerful, our weapons are more powerful than what the world has to offer in their battles. They have the power to demolish strongholds. And I like this picture again of the city walls, the gates, the enemy retreating to those strongholds. And we don't have to stop just because we run into strongholds in people's lives. We can destroy those strongholds with the word of God, the gospel, the authority and power that Christ has given us as his church. We do not have to be stopped. We are to be moving forward, advancing. Obviously, we look at the scriptures, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captivity, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Obviously, if you read that and think about it all, this is really different than the world's form of warfare. We're not really fighting people. We're not fighting countries. What we're fighting are lies and deceptions of the enemy. We're almost, it's like we're fighting these warped ideas that the enemy is spreading. And we're to tear down those strongholds, those thoughts, those ideas, take every thought captive to Christ. I believe so much of the world and so much of the church, frankly, is bound by strongholds that have been established over time based on us believing lies and thoughts and crazy things that the enemies whispered in our ear. Or that he has used other people to speak into and over our lives. We have the power as the church to tear those things down. I believe when we look at verse 4 where it says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons. The weapons we fight with, we're fighting. Continually we're at war. Whether you know it or not, as Christians, we're in war. There's a spiritual war going on all the time. All the time. And we are in it, whether we know it or not. You know, and it's interesting in so many of these scriptures, and even when I get back to Colossians, Paul is writing this to Colossians eventually. He's, in, he's a prisoner of war, if you would. He's in prison. And he's encouraging his soldiers, the Colossian church, with some information we're going to look at in Colossians chapter 4. We have the power by God's grace, the Word of God, and through prayer, to demolish these strongholds, and that's what we're called to do. Now, this does not give us permission to be obnoxious, to be jerks. We're not attacking people. We're not attacking personalities. 
Our weapons of warfare are spiritual. The enemy is spiritual. Yes, we can speak truth against wrong ideas, wrong thoughts, wrong plans, wrong philosophies. But as we're going to see when we get to Colossians, there's a way to do that that allows us to speak to the hearts of people and God to use us to do that. And the last scripture I want to read before we go to our scripture text is in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. I'm not even going to read it all. Most of us are familiar with these verses. It's called, this is where it talks about, okay, guys, soldiers. I'm going to use a picture of a Roman soldier, and I want you to put on your armor. And I believe in most of these scriptures, we need to remind ourselves that who is Paul writing these things to? He's not writing it to Mike in the church in Ephesus. He's writing it to the church. I believe he's writing it to the body of Christ. Yes, there are things we can apply to ourselves, absolutely. But he's writing it to the church. We are the corporate army of God. And he's telling these people, he says, put on this armor. Always be ready. Always be ready for what's coming. And we need to go forth as that army. And really, again, I just want to remind us again and again and again, we don't talk much about evangelism because we have crazy ideas of what it's supposed to look like all the time. But that is our primary force, our primary focus as an army of God. We are to be sharing the gospel. We are to give opportunity for the Holy Spirit to soften hearts and accept the message of Jesus Christ. And it's a message that the Bible tells us the world doesn't like it. But it's not our job to make the world like it. It's our job to spread the message. And we need to be in prayer to know what we're supposed to do and how to do it. And that's what we're going to really see when we look to our Scripture text in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Now last week, Casey talked about the relationship between a husband and wife and the children. And if we would go back further in Colossians, the things we've talked about, there was a lot of information about relationships. Well, this is about relationships here also, only now he's telling us how to interact and have relationship with unbelievers. With unbelievers. In chapter 4, starting in verse 2, I want to go back. There was one verse towards the end of verse uh, of uh, chapter 13, after it talks about the relationship of men and women and children. And it, it verse basically paraphrased says this, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do. We could take it for last week, the husband and wife thing, for the glory of God. Parents with their children, for the glory of God. And now we're coming to unbelievers. And whatever we do, for the glory of God. I have seen maybe well-intentioned Christians approach unbelievers in a way that I don't think it brings God any glory whatsoever. You know, he's not always that impressed with all of our opinions and arguments or name-calling or all the other things that we can slip into when our flesh gets involved. So let's see what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer. There it is. Prayer. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too. Who's the us? Paul and, and his special forces unit, if you would. He's in prison. And he's not alone. 
Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, unbelievers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I believe we could break this into two sections of Scriptures, 2, 3, and 4. It's telling us how to be um, indirectly involved, if you would, with evangelism and spreading the gospel. And then we're going to see in 5 and 6, it gives us some more personal information and instruction how we can be directly involved with the gospel, spreading of the gospel. In verses 2 through 4, I think we can see very clearly three aspects of prayer. The three aspects of prayer in verses 2 through 4, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. Be steadfast in prayer. Now, it's not practical. I know we're supposed to be continually in prayer, but it doesn't mean we're in prayer 24-7. It's not practical. You and I can't do it. We have other things we have to do. But we don't set prayer down and say, oh yeah, I'm going to go away now. I'll be back in a month to pray. No, no, no. It means be continual in prayer. Be steadfast. Devoted in prayer. I'm going to pray and I'm going to come back to prayer. I'm going to come back to prayer and I'm going to come back to prayer. I am going to be steadfast in my prayer life. Praying often and more increases, in a sense, the power of our prayers. You know, it's not like, it's not like a battery. You gotta charge up the battery and the more it gets used, the power drains more and more and more until the batteries are dead. We gotta charge them again. With us, prayer, the more we use prayer, the more we pray, the more we're in communion with God, the more powerful it becomes. And when I say powerful, it may, I can mean something as, as important as it's powerful in developing our relationship with God. Developing our relationship with our Savior. Or it can be powerful in the sense that He's giving us critical instruction of what we should be doing next as members of His army. And then it says, be alert, be watchful. So be devoted and be watchful. It is so easy for me to become complacent or weary when it comes to prayer. Oh yeah, i got to pray. I haven't done that yet today. Okay, about a half a minute later, I'm distracted and I'm over here, I'm over here, I'm over here. The, the enemy wants to distract us. He says, be alert, be on the watch. Look for the enemy. He's trying to stop you from praying. He's trying to break down the line of communications with the command center. Be watchful. Be alert. Continually alert. The enemy will not stop at using any tactic to stop you and I from praying. He doesn't want us to pray. Never. And then it says, and be thankful. You know, we need to remember, even when we are in warfare, the victory's already been won. There's a lot of battles to be fought before Jesus returns. But we need to be thankful. You know, no matter what, God's, God's won. God is God. He's got this. We can trust this commander-in-chief completely and be thankful no matter what the battle is, no matter where we're praying about what's going on. We need to be thankful in the midst of that because our God already knows what's happening. He already knows the outcome before the thing starts. And we need to be thankful in our prayers. It gives us three quick points. Devote yourselves, be alert, and be watchful. 
And then in verse 3 and 4, he continues, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mysteries of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray for those on the front lines would be the way I would interpret part of that. Paul's saying, pray for us. Pray for us that are out there on the front lines. I'm out there. I, I've been in prison, but don't, don't stop praying for me. Don't stop praying for my brothers that are out there fighting on the front lines. Don't stop praying for our apostles, our prophets, our pastors, our evangelists, our teachers, our missionaries. We need to be praying for them. We are indirectly involved in the battle that they're fighting to advance the kingdom. Paul says that prayer is important. Pray for me. Pray for us as we're going forth fighting this battle. And then he says, pray for gospel opportunities. He calls it an open door. Now, gospel opportunities present themselves continuously. I I personally think what he's talking about, pray that there will be those moments when the doors are thrown open and the gospel message is received. Be ready for it. Be praying for that. Be praying for our missionaries. Just pick some of our missionaries. We support a dozen of them. Some of you probably support others on your own. But as a church, we support about 12 or 13 different missionaries. Make a list of them. And start praying for them as our frontline workers that are out there fighting this battle. They've been called to a different role in this army. And we need to pray for them. Paul says, pray for us. Pray for us that there will be open doors. You know, pray for True Light. Pray for Hope Harbor. Pray for the free ministry we support. Golly, I can go down the list. I'll forget about half of them. New Mercies Ministry. They're just, we've got a dozen of them out there. When's the last time we prayed for all 12 of them? When's the last time you took 15 minutes, 20 minutes to pray for the frontline workers? Or those that get called to go out on even a short-term trip from the church. We need to be praying for them as they go. Always. And then he says, praying for the mystery of Christ to go forth clearly. For any message to go forward, it needs to be spoken clearly in an understandable way. The mystery of Christ. The Gospel. Why is it called a mystery? It's not because it's totally hard to understand. It's not like parts of it are hidden. I believe it's called the mystery of Christ because unless God would have revealed it to us and told us, no one here would have thought of His mystery here. No one have thought, would have thought of the gospel message on our own. I mean, think about it. You can put in many things in here as you want. I just plugged in a few steps. The Son of God, He becomes man. Okay, you might have lost most of us already. Lives a sinless life of poverty and love. That He should die in the place of sinners and bear the curse of the law. That He would rise from the dead and reign in heaven today. That the ungodly would be justified by faith in what He did. The Jew, the Gentile, red, black, yellow, white, they would all be reconciled into one body. That Christ should dwell in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, sealing us for glory. I mean, there's nothing really that complicated about it, but none of us would have thought of this if God hadn't revealed it to us. So Paul is praying, pray for us, that we would be able to present this mystery clearly so that it would be understood. We need to pray that prayer for ourselves. Help me. Help me be prepared to share that message clearly that it might be understood. This is evangelism. 
This is evangelism. It's just stuff that we should be doing every day. Yes, some of us and some of you will be called to be maybe more full-time involved in that kind of ministry, that kind of outreach with the gospel. No doubt about it. But we're all called to evangelize because we're all part of God's army to be advancing the kingdom. And advancing the kingdom, in my mind, means doing whatever we can to increase the reign of Christ in the hearts of more and more people. And it comes through the gospel by the Holy Spirit working. Then he switches in, in verse four, or chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. I believe we can now go from kind of more indirect involvement to being a very direct involvement. And I believe it's very, very practical. I love practical. I don't want to have to try to figure it out. Just tell me what it is and make it easy. And I think that's what Paul does for us. He says, in starting in verse 5, Be wise. Some, some translations say, Walk in wisdom. Conduct yourself with wisdom. But be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, unbelievers. Be wise how you do that. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. There are so many three-point messages in these scriptures, it's just amazing. The first thing we see here, we are to take advantage of these opportunities. Make the most of every opportunity. The phrase there in the Greek means to buy up or redeem. I believe every day we miss most of them. I miss most of them. Every day we are presented with opportunities to redeem, buy up that opportunity to share something about the good news of the gospel, to share something about Jesus. And he's saying, This is what you do now. Make sure you take advantage of every opportunity. But be wise. Be wise in your behavior. Conduct yourself wisely towards unbelievers. You know, in Corinthians, Paul says these words. You know, I think it's Corinthians 8. He says, I become all things to all people that I may win some to Christ. Now, most of us maybe have heard that, realized that. He's not becoming unrighteous. He's not sinning like the world's sinning. We're not to set aside our holiness. We're not supposed to do that. We're not to set aside our integrity as Christians. But he says, I can become all things to all people so that I may win some for the kingdom of God. And then the next verse there says, I do this for the sake of the gospel. Okay, But then the very last part of that next verse is that I may share in its blessings. You ever think about it that way? I'm going to evangelize. I'm going to become all things to all people that perhaps I might win some. And part of the benefit of that is I'm going to get involved and receive more of the blessings of God. We need to develop a moment feeling for the moment. You know, when we're, we're, we should be prayed up so that when we come across people, they might be different than us. They might think different than us. They may be of this different race, social economic strata. They could be, we could have almost nothing in the natural in common. How do I make it work? How do I fit in? How can I do this to share clearly 
What do I have to do? Never compromising holiness and truth. Don't forget that. That's not what all things to all people means. Where do I get this kind of wisdom? He's praying for wisdom to be able to do that. I'm going to just throw these four things out there quickly. Scripture. You hear me harp on that all the time. Scripture. I want to be wise. Scripture, Psalms 19, verse 7 says, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, and they make the wise simple. They make wise the simple. I think I said that wrong. Make wise the simple. I don't want you to take the wisdom and become simple. But I like that because that means, gee, if I'm in the Word of God, even a simpleton like me will be made wise to be able to be all things to all people that perhaps I might win some. Scripture. The next one is prayer, James 5, 7. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I like the whole verse. I can ask Him, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what I'm going to say to them. They are so different than me. When I'm asking you for wisdom, you promise you'll, or you promise you'll give me wisdom. And then it says in there, it sticks that little middle section in. He'll do that without finding fault. He won't hear, Mike, as soon as you get your act together and do what I told you to do before over here and go fix this. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't find fault. He says, I'll give it to you. Wisdom in prayer. Sound counselors. Now, I'm not eliminating human beings that we can go and receive counsel from, but I think a good place to start if you really want good counsel is go to the book of Proverbs and spend some time in the book of Proverbs. And the fourth thing, real-life experiences. You know, I hadn't paid much attention to this scripture in Hebrews 5.14. Hebrews 5.14. But it's talking about milk versus solid food and being mature. It says this, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It's talking about our life experiences. Through prayer, through studying scriptures, through having found ourselves in different situations. Our life experiences have helped us to be able to evangelize and share the gospel. And then he goes on, pray for wisdom, and it says, use salty speech. What does that mean? Boy, we've, I've heard people refer to boy, their language is pretty salty. That's not what this means. Boy, those poor sailors always get blamed for the way they talk. Man, he curses and swears like a sailor. I don't know, did sailors do that, Bob? Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> and so do a whole lot of people. Hopefully not us. There's one person I, I stop, I've told you this before, I try to stop in at least once every couple of weeks at least down here at the local little one stop. But there's one guy there. Gal, it hurts. I have to go back to the church office and wash my ears. It's just the way he talks. I don't want any of us to talk like that. That's not what he means here. He's talking about, he's using the picture of food, serving a meal. Let your words, your speech, be like salty, that it will season, that it will make the message you're sharing more palatable. We need to not speak like the world speaks. We need to speak salty, flavorful words, attractive words, desirable words, 
You know, how do we do that? How do we do that when we're sharing the gospel? With passion. What if somebody comes up to you and says, this gives you my idea where my mind goes, where's a good place to get a good steak? Well, somebody says, there's this little restaurant over in Revere. It's not much of a town, or it's not much from the outside, but they have steak. Man, I am just not going to run in my car and drive all the way to Revere just to go eat that steak. However, I've had that steak. It's seared on the outside just right. It's so big I can't eat it all. It's tender meat, and it's flavored and juicy. It's so awesome. It is the best steak you'll ever eat. Where are my keys, honey? We're going to Revere. That's how we should talk about Jesus. And the only way we can talk about Jesus that way is if we've tasted him that way. If you know the goodness of God, if you meditate on what the Word of God tells us about Him, if you take time and meditate on what God's done in your own life, in my life, how He has comforted me, strengthened me, encouraged me, rescued me, saved me from hell, and I, and I think about this, I meditate on this, all of a sudden, I can use some savory words, some salty words that make this message of the gospel more attractive. I'm never alone. He's always with me. I know you've been lonely. I tell you, Jesus is always with me. His Holy Spirit speaks to me. It's so, so comforting. And then you start talking like, but you can't talk like that unless you've experienced it. And we need to be in that kind of relationship with the Lord. So when we talk to an unbeliever who knows nothing about that relationship. We don't just say, you know what? You need Jesus. What the heck do they need Jesus for? They don't know anything about Him. You need someone who will stick with you closer than a friend, who loves you no matter what you've done. He will walk through this trouble with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never abandon you. He will give you strength you've never known before. And in the midst of this storm, you're going to have such peace and joy in your heart you aren't gonna, you aren't gonna believe it. That's Jesus. That's what you need. I can tell you how you can have that. Wow, that sounds pretty good. I think we need to understand. We need to prepare the food and we need to know how to serve it. We need to be able to do both. And I believe this is what Paul's telling the church here. Salty speech. And then lastly, the last part here, so that everyone, you have an answer to everyone. You know what? <clears throat> I get having a canned presentation. <laughs> There's some you know, companies that they just give you, here's the canned presentation. Sit down and memorize these words. And you go through this canned presentation. Now, that might work once in a while, but how much better is it if the presentation is personalized? Just for that individual. And I believe that's what he's saying here. Let us realize that each person we're going to come in contact with is different. Every situation is different. We need to be praying about and hearing from the Holy Spirit. How do I speak to this person? The Bible's clear that the Holy Spirit will give me words to speak when I don't know what to say. Just give me the opportunity. Well, don't just pray for the opportunity. Pray for the words to say when the opportunity arises that we may have it personalized. 
The gospel never changes. Jesus never changes. But how we do it, how we share it, how we serve it, there's countless ways. Your ways, my ways, they may be different, and they should be different to every person we talk to. Personalizing it. How do we know how to do that? We pray for wisdom so that we know how to serve and season the food. So when you look at these verses in chapter 4 of Colossians, I think Paul is telling us, hey, prayer is powerful. It's powerful in advancing the kingdom indirectly by praying for others that are called to the front lines, but it's also powerful in our lives for us as individuals called to be part of that army to directly be advancing the gospel, to directly be sharing Jesus to people in such a way that they want what we've got, that they receive and allow Jesus Christ to reign and rule in their life. It'll change their life completely. Hopefully we know that. We need to help them understand that. And remember, all we're doing is setting the stage as best we can by the grace of God through prayer that the Holy Spirit does the work. That they receive from the Holy Spirit. They respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to share the message. It's His job to change their heart. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that as the body of Christ, we realize that we are in a war. There's a spiritual war going on between good and evil, between heaven and hell. And we're in the midst of it. We live in it. And we are called, if we have accepted the, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we've accepted his death on our behalf, and surrendered our life to Him as our risen Lord and Savior, we're in your army. God, and we need to be actively involved in advancing the kingdom. Lord, You will equip us. You will prepare us. Your Word says You'll never give us more than we can handle because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. I pray that we would be about that task. I I pray, God, that if there's anyone here who would have not experienced your goodness, your love, your forgiveness, that they would do that today. God, they would understand. Help us to give understanding contrary to what the world says, that accepting Jesus Christ doesn't cause us to be deprived of things, but it opens the world to an abundant life in Jesus Christ. And that then we would be sharing that good news wherever we go. Help us to be faithful in prayer for those that are on the front lines. Help us to be continually asking for your wisdom. And give us ears to hear your voice speak. That we might be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the passion that we have about Jesus. Lord, I pray that even as we go today, knowing that your Spirit goes with us, I pray that we would see those divine opportunities more clearly and we would be ready to act. pray you would give us an insatiable hunger for your Word, that we would have the wisdom that's included in your Word. 
Father, I pray that wherever we do today, wherever we go this week, we are going as Christ's ambassadors. I pray you give us the grace to represent you well. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.